about the kingdom of God here. I think that's a wonderful thing to talk about. But I want to make sure we're not just proclamating it. We're not just saying, yes, it's here, but never doing more than that. Because there is something that Jesus does, and he proclaims it, and he demonstrates it. And so I want to make sure we're moving the kingdom message from our heads to our hearts. That we're not just doing this like theological exercise where we can explain really well what the kingdom is and in theory what it should look like, but we're actually bringing it into reality and saying, I'm going to demonstrate it. After all, that's what Jesus did, right? He went around, he proclaimed, and then he demonstrated through signs and wonders. Everywhere he went, people were healed of sickness and sin and forgiven, and just so many things happened. Demons left, people were raised from the dead, and thousands were fed, right? And so, I kind of laugh and look around, because I'm preaching to the choir. <laughs> you know, I look around, and I see everyone that I do ministry with, and it feels really good to be in the midst of so many people who are already doing the things, you know. A lot of times I, I laugh when I'm making these because it, it feels like you guys are already praying for the sick. I know that because I'm with you. And like I see you doing it with each other on Sundays and I, I see you guys in other places and you're already having those conversations. You're already so much the priesthood who God desires us to be. But he doesn't want to just stop with most of us or a good majority of us. He wants everyone, he wants youth, he wants young and old men and women coming together to not just proclamate the kingdom is here, but to also demonstrate it. And I want you to remember this, that he is not far away, that he is here today and he is with you every single day as you do that. So, it's a big thing, right? <laughs> Stepping out, taking a little bit of faith, taking a little bit of risk. And so uh, one of the great ways to practice this is by praying for healing. And I feel like, you know, nothing happens, nothing happens. It's kind of a good place to start. It's like people want healing, and when we pray and they do get healed, it's great, right? And we can celebrate, and if, you know, they don't, they're no worse off than they were before. So it, there's really no cost in trying. And so, um, <clears throat> yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. And there's a lot of frameworks for healing. I personally like one in particular, um, but if you already pray for the sick and you're like, I like my framework that I work in, it works pretty well for me, keep it up, great, do that one. But if you pray for people and you're like, yeah, yeah, I just don't really see many results, it feels like not much happens, or, or if you're like, I've never really tried to pray for someone before, especially for healing, and I don't even know where to start, then uh, maybe this is for you. And so I like this integrated healing framework. And so it's listed up there, and um, it just understands that people are emotional, they're physical, they're spiritual, and even like all those health things are pretty well known in the health community, right? Like doctors, medicine, all that, they're kind of catching up to the fact that like, you know, if you have a really high stressful job, like an air traffic controller, you might have some blood sugar issues and, and blood pressure, right? You, you, you know, you might get a little anxious. And um, I just read this crazy article from John Hopkins, I think it was last week, that just said that the act of forgiving someone is now proven to lower cholesterol. So we know that there are connections between these. And so there is uh, different dimensions of healing. We are more than just body. We are more than just spirit. We are more than just um, inner emotional life. But all that plays a really big part in who we are as a person. And so um, 
there are a lot of discoveries and, you know, new things going on, but I kind of think it's crazy that actually this goes back to, like, Matthew. And so there's tons of examples, tons of them. Go read your Bible. Uh, but this is one I really like. It's in Matthew 9, verses 2 through 7. I'm not going to read it. Uh, bookmark it. Go home and read it. I don't have enough time. Matthew 9, 2 through 7. And it says, um, basically, a man comes before Jesus, and he's paralyzed. He can't walk, and his friends, you know, have this great faith, and they bring him before Jesus, and they're like, will you heal him? And he looks at the man and says, your sins are forgiven. And all the religious leaders are like, who are you to say that? Like, no, you can't say that. That's blasphemy. Um, Absolutely not. And so Jesus says, well, what's easier? That I say that he's forgiven or say, rise up and walk. And then guess what? He's healed, right? He rises up and he begins to walk. And he actually implies that the reason that the, the physical healing is seen is because the spiritual healing had already happened. And so healing is often more than what's on the surface. And each one of these dimensions do actually play a part in our overall healing. So, for example, physical healing, that's going to be our bodies. That's going to be everything and anything that could go wrong physically. (laughs) Uh, Spiritual, a lot of times, that looks like forgiveness. That means receiving the truth about who you are. A lot of identity comes in through spiritual healing. Inner healing, we end up doing a lot of things like processing memories, walking um, through hurt with people, things that people have said to them that they've internalized. And so we deal with a lot of um, emotional and just sad things in life, don't we? And so it's good to just realize that that actually has an impact on our health too. And then deliverance. And I always laugh about deliverance because Hollywood has just made that seem so ridiculous. Um, I was watching Legion last night. Have you guys seen Legion? (sighs) So it's hilarious. Um, And it's so silly. And the theology is terrible. Don't watch the movie if you haven't seen it. It's not worth it, I promise. But I was watching... (laughs) I was watching it, and, like, these people were getting possessed, and it looked like they were putting, a, like, a paint spinner, you know, and their heads are, like, twisting, and they're being shaken, their eyes are rolling, and it's like, ah, what is this? It's so ridiculous. That is not deliverance. <laughs> we connect those things because Hollywood, because that's what's kind of pushed into our mind. That is not deliverance. What deliverance really is is realizing that we live in a battle, Right? The kingdom of God has come and is pushing up against the framework of the kingdom of darkness. And so sometimes we are just hurt by things out of our control. And, you know, there's um, ways of just saying, no, no more. You can't do that anymore. And so it's just realizing that we're in this battle. And so that's what deliverance is, is we just simply say, no more. You can't do that anymore to the kingdom of darkness. So takes a lot of patience. I'm going to say that. Um, This takes a lot of um, dependence on Holy Spirit. Because the thing about this is I cannot do this on my own. (laughs) I cannot do this apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And so everything that we do has to depend on the Holy Spirit showing up. And so oftentimes this stuff feels a little risky because it's like, I don't know what to say. Well, this is a good model. And it will help you kind of distinguish what Holy Spirit's doing. It's just a framework. 
And remember, when we're doing these things, healing is oftentimes more than one-dimensional. Now, sometimes someone will come up to me with pain or something, and they're, we'll, we'll just say wrist. And, you know, um, it's very clearly just a wrist problem. I fell down. I, you know, hit it on the stair step as I fell down. I'm not going to be like, oh, this might be deliverance. Like, you know, it takes some common sense. It's like, okay, they fell on some stairs and they hurt their wrist. We're going to pray for their wrist. However, uh, there are times when it just seems like physical things aren't getting any better. There's no change. Or they actually get worse. And you're like, hmm, that's kind of weird. I bet there's something more going on that I just don't see. Because healing is often more than just one-dimensional. There's often usually other things happening. All right, so one of the tools that I really like for working within this framework is called the five-step prayer model. How many of you have been like through a training for five-step prayer model? Have, um, I bet a lot of you, especially if you've done SOCOM. I want to see all your hands up. Okay. Um, so five-step prayer model, um, all my youth should have raised their hands. Yeah, I'm looking at you. They're really good at it. They're like really good at it, actually. It's, it's amazing. But it's five really simple steps that we use to help us pray for people. And you can use this anytime, anywhere with anyone. So if you're at a coffee shop with a friend, it's a great time to use a five-step prayer model. Um, first, super simple. You ask, how can I pray with you? What's going on? You might even want to ask another question like, on a scale of 1 to 10, what's your pain at? Or, you know, high, medium, low, how bad does it hurt? And that way it kind of helps you give it a grid for what they're dealing with. And then the next step is to invite. You know, we get the information, okay, we kind of know what we're dealing with now, you know. Um, now I'm going to invite Holy Spirit to come. And so we say, come Holy Spirit. And this isn't like us being like, oh, great. All right, Holy Spirit, you got to come down from wherever you are. You got to come find us now. This is it. Um, by saying, come Holy Spirit, we're just kind of reminding and raising the expectation that the Holy Spirit is here, that the power of God is going to move. And so we are just saying his name. We are saying, come Holy Spirit. We expect you to show up in this moment. And then you pray. Super simple. Pray. Um, I like really short prayers. I don't like talking a whole bunch. Um, so, you know, knee be healed. Um, shoulder, go back in place. <laughs> really simple, commanding prayers. Keep it short, keep it simple. Um, kingdom, break in. That's a good prayer too. I've seen a lot happen from that. Just kingdom of God come. And then check, you know, how are you feeling? We're not mind readers, guys. This isn't like such a holy moment that we can't talk to people. And so how are you doing? Like, are you feeling anything? Are you, um, some people will feel heat. Some people will feel tingling, you know, and we recognize as the presence of God is like doing something with them, and we can continue to press in into that moment and pray again. Uh, sometimes people feel nothing, and that's okay. Doesn't mean God's not doing anything. It just means they're not really feeling anything, or maybe they're just not aware, and that's totally fine. I've seen people, you know, that have the presence of God on them, that feel the heat, that feel the tingling, feel all the things, and they get healed. And I've also seen people go, yeah, I don't really feel anything. And then they walk and they're like, oh, my hip is healed. And so it doesn't mean that if they're not feeling something, God isn't still working. Recently, I actually got to pray for someone's knee pain. And I was following five-step prayer model. And I got to the part where I was checking. I was like, hey, how are you feeling? And they said, you know, my knee feels the same, but I'm dealing with, like, all this anger and other stuff coming up. And I was like, huh. That's interesting, because oftentimes healing's more than one dimensional. And so I was like, um, 
that's interesting. So I kind of like probed it a little bit and got into their story. And I'm not going to share that because I didn't ask. And so it turned out that we went through some of the emotional healing, you know. There was some forgiveness and anger and other things that were a direct result from hurting their knee. And so after we kind of did that anger and the forgiveness and other things, prayed for the knee, you know, knee be healed. And that knee went from like, I don't remember, I remember it being pretty mid-pain, like five or six, and it went down to like a one, where they were like, wow, I can barely feel it. Really cool. So um, pain has to go, you know, we just pray very short commanding prayers just like Jesus. And then the last step is plan. So number five, if you're keeping track, plan. And, and this is just a mental note that I make. You can set up a physical plan. If you know you see someone every Sunday, be like, hey, next Sunday I'm going to check in with you. But otherwise, I'm kind of planning in my head, okay, you know, sometime this week I should text them and see, how is your pain? You know, is your knee still hurting? Did it come back? Is it worse? Is it different? Like, what's going on with you? And so that is our five-step prayer model. It's pretty simple. Those are all the steps. I used to have a little keychain with all of them on it. I keep saying one day I'm going to make a bunch of them and just pass them out to everyone because get everyone praying, right? But if you have questions or if you're like, that's really cool, I would like to, like, work on that some more, or I have some really specific questions of how all that kind of fits together and works. We have some clinics coming up in May, and uh, we're going to talk about this tool and a little bit about healing at that workshop, and so the dates are up there. It's the second one in May is on healing, but try to come to all of them or one of them, um, especially the healing one, because I think it's super fun. So yeah, make sure you uh, grab, I think there's postcards even out there with the dates on there. All right, so a question that I get asked all the time, like very consistently in my life is, how is faith and healing connected? And I'll be honest, I wasn't really sure for the longest time. Yeah, I was really confused about it. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know if they are. And then I was like, no, they definitely are. And I went back and forth and I said, I just don't know. Uh, I'll come back to you guys one day when I know. So today's that day, hello. Um, I actually have an answer and I think it's this. I think somebody needs to have faith. And I don't even know if it matters who yet. Come back to me one day, I'll, I'll see if that matters. But there's a good story uh, found in Luke 7 with the centurion soldier who comes to Jesus and he says, hey, just say the word and I know my servant will be healed. And he came in expectation and faith before Jesus and said, just say the word. He had a ton of faith. That dude was like full of faith. That was awesome. But then there's other stories, and this is what threw me off, like in John 11 with Lazarus. He's dead. He has no faith. Zero faith. Dead. And then all the people around him are crying, and they're saying, it's too late, Jesus. You came too late. And so I'm like, they didn't have faith. They weren't like, yeah, Jesus is here. They're like crying and saying, where were you? But Jesus still raised him from the dead. So where was the faith in that? And so I, I battled back and forth, but I really do think somebody has to have the expectation. And in that case, it would have been Jesus. So what is faith? Expectation. Expectation that the kingdom has come. Expectation that this is the time and that God is going to show up and do the things that he said he would do and the things that he said you would do one day after he left, he said, you know, one day you're going to do the things that I'm doing and even greater things. I actually go into some prayer stuff like, I want to do that. Like, that's the challenge for today. I want Jesus to be like, whoa, I didn't do that. <laughs> like, I just think that would be cool. But um, 
Faith is an action, guys. There's a pastor by the name of Jordan Singh, and he kind of is a friend of Vineyards, and he jokes around a lot. He says, you guys say that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Have we all heard that? I feel like that's like something we say a ton. He's like, I don't believe it. He is like, faith is spelled T-R-Y. Yeah, it takes some risk, but you actually have to step out and try. Faith is bringing the things of heaven to earth and expecting good to happen. And it's really hard, I know, because our world is really chaotic and it believes, it leads to the assumption that God is good, that he is going to show up. But guys, I want the church to be a place of faith, a place of expectation. I want people to walk in and think, what is God going to do today? How is he about to move? So I'm going to ask you a question. How did you arrive today? Were you full of faith? Or were you 30 minutes late and someone parked you in and pretty mad in your driveway? (laughs) Did you arrive with faith? Saying that this is the hour that could change my life. This is a really pivotal moment when God could break in. Anyway, I love stories that talk about faith. Uh, We don't actually have a ton of stories about faith for us to talk about um, and analyze. And I I think one of the reasons for that is, as John Wimber would say, um, Wimber was the founder of all the vineyard movement, kind of like father of vineyard. And so John Wimber used to say, some things are caught, not taught. And I think faith is one of those things that are just caught, not taught. You can't really teach someone to have faith, but you can show them how to have faith. And it's something that will help them kind of have more faith and more expectation and see more things happen. And so I want to read Mark 5, verses 25 here in a minute. But um, before I do, there's, I want to set it up a little bit. Um, Five, chapter five is what we're about to read. But before that, Jesus is going all throughout, <laughs> all throughout the land. He is doing miraculous feedings. He is, he just did the whole legion thing where he cast a bunch of demons out of someone. Uh, and he has now done some really cool things and people are really amazed by him. And so when he shows up, there's a huge crowd waiting for him. He is getting no privacy anymore at this point. So we're already a little bit into his ministry by the time we hit Mark chapter 5. And um, so this is the story of the woman who is uh, bleeding for 12 years. It's a quite famous story. I bet many of you have known it and maybe even studied it. But this is where we pick up. Verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better but rather grew worse. So this story goes from, like, from really bad to even worse in like two verses, right? Um, you can kind of assume from the context she has no husband. It says that she's spending all her resources. So we're just kind of inferring that she's single, which is a hardship for women at the time, especially in that market. And it says she spent all she had. So she has nothing left. And as most of you know from studying the story, there's a lot of roles and just religious things around blood and the Jews. And they have a lot of laws. So if you listen to Bema or you have um, just kind of studied these things, you'll know that she was considered unclean. 
meaning she was not allowed to be around other people. Otherwise, she might contaminate them. This would have been uh, socially just meaning she's ostracized from everyone for 12 years, sheltered in place. Can you imagine that, being sheltered in place for a long extended period of time? All right, verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in a crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt her body that she was healed from her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. So the disciples are a little bit indignant because they're on their way to do a miracle for um, a really important dignitary. So they're like, come on, Jesus. Good job. Someone touched you. How'd you know? All right, the crowd is pressed up against you. Like, there's a lot of people here. Of course someone touched you. Come on, get on it. We We got healing to go do. And uh, Jesus is like, no, something's got my interest. Someone touched me, and this is different. This is something worth looking into. Verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I love this story because it's awkward. It's inappropriate, and it's really wrong in just a lot of ways. This woman who has been bleeding for 12 years must have felt cursed and unseen, just totally left and abandoned by God. She wasn't allowed to leave the house um, or her property, whatever, you know, if that was a garden. That's all she had. She wasn't allowed to leave that area. And we don't know what stirred in her, but we do know that she heard that Jesus was coming, and that's it. So she decides, even though it's really unlawful, like if she leaves the house and people find out, they can legally stone her. But she decides, I'm going to leave the house. This is a criminal act. And she pushes it even further by not just leaving the house, but she's pushing through a large crowd of people trying to get to Jesus. She is touching everyone. Everyone is getting contaminated. This is like March 2020, testing positive for COVID and then going into a huge crowd and touching everyone. Like people are, would lose their minds if they knew that she was in this crowd touching them. And so not only that, she pushes it even further and it's just even more wrong and inappropriate, she goes up behind a rabbi and touches him. Touches him in a culture where men and women do not touch. They do not ever touch outside of family, like close family connection. That's it. So she enters this crowd. She touches a holy man. And then she's healed. (laughs) You know what else is really wrong about this story, actually? Her healing model. That's not integrated healing. That's not a five-step prayer model. We don't teach this one. This would be called like sneak attack. I I was thinking the best equivalent for this is like Costco after church. Have you guys been to Costco after church? 
It is a mistake. I don't even like Costco to begin with, but after church is worse. So you go in the Costco, and this is like you see Pat. You know Pat's going to go to Costco after church, and you want healing. And so you wait, and you grab your buggy, and you're trying to fight through the crowds to get to Pat. And when you see him, you grab the bottom of his jeans. That is a wrong healing model. We don't do that. That's weird. And then... It says that she came and she fell before Jesus, trembling. She probably thinks she's about to get stoned. She probably thinks, you know, I just got healing, but like this is it. I just broke every rule. I just did everything wrong. I just became a criminal. And it says that she is in fear and trembling. And this is how I picture Jesus saying it. You know, we, we picture like Jesus saying things like in this like really well-mannered, like holy moments, right? Like, oh, Go, be, peace, healed. But no, I think Jesus had a lot of attitude, and I think what he saw in her was amazing. He was like, whoa, that is faith. Go and be in peace. He didn't just like, I just love it. Jesus had a lot of personality, guys. All right. But she was full of expectation. We don't know what she knew about Jesus. We don't know what she heard, but she knew it was enough, and she knew that even becoming a criminal was worth whatever that healing was going to get her. And so she brought all of her expectation with her, and she went before the feet of Jesus. <sighs> Faith is spelled T-R-Y. <laughs> and she really moved, didn't she? But to try, you have to move. You have to step out. You have to risk it. Yeah, you do. But you also have to take a step. And one of the core values that Vineyard teaches and all the Vineyard churches are, it's like what holds us together. We have like five of these values. One of them is that we are a people of the kingdom of God who partner with the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in us to guide us to do all these things. If we want to see healing, we need the Holy Spirit. We need him to see what the Father is doing. We can't do this on our own. I've tried. I failed miserably, burned out. Uh, yeah, it was really bad <laughs> because we just can't. We weren't made to. We're only partnering with the Holy Spirit to see these things. And so we need him. I was trying to figure out how to end today because I was like, that's a lot of information. And I'm like, how do I land this? And Jesus just kept bringing to mind over and over and over again just very specific incidences that I've seen in the past couple months. And, and they happen at coffee shops. I've seen this happen even at church. And that's basically all I'm at, coffee shops and church. So, that, sorry, that's all I got for you. But, but I was sitting at a coffee shop, and I heard a conversation recently, and it just kind of struck me. And so I think, I think this is how we're going to end today. But they were saying how Jesus sees them. And a lot of times people think that Jesus sees them like they're toddlers. Uh, kind of annoying. We love them. Oh, love them so much. But whew, they are everywhere. They're a hot mess. We deal with them because we know they're going to get out of it one day. Eventually, they'll start sleeping. They'll start behaving. They'll, they'll act normally. One day, it'll be fine. But right now, I just kind of have to deal with them. And um, Jesus was like, nah, that's not true. That's not, you know, I am not face palming myself every time they say that. I am not just rolling my eyes constantly. And he finished by telling me this, and I, I don't think it was just for me. I think it's, it's for the church too. But um, this is what he just says. He says, I love you. 
Jesus is proud of you. He wants to partner with you. He's in you. He says, I, I want to be there for you in every moment. And I think it's really hard for us to want to risk, to want to have faith, to want to try stuff if we don't believe God is really good. If we don't think we actually have a God who's on our side, who's going to show up when we really need him, we're not going to want to do that. That's, that's just too much. But we have to start realizing we have a God who came to earth, not to just be near us, but he came as us to show us the kingdom, to show us how to live, to show us we can do these things and he is going to be with us in all of it. And so I would think his big invitation is saying, I want you to know that I'm really good, that I am really going to show up. And all you have to do is have some faith and try and watch me work. All right, so we're going to transition now into a time of communion. If I can have four people come up and serve.